path of refuge recovery begins with the first truth. Addiction creates suffering. Our next guest is a licensed independent chemical dependency counselor and social worker. He's got an extensive experience treating adolescent and adult clients with addiction and mental health concerns. He's also been studying the Buddhist teachings for the past 11 years and two years ago became a Buddhist priest. He's got some fantastic perspective on the blending of the Buddhist teachings and recovery. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. So welcome, everybody, to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lee Shannon, and it is my honor to have Christopher Wimmer here today as our guest. And let me tell you a little bit about Christopher. Christopher is, like myself, a native of Northeast Ohio. He's also a Kent State University grad. Boy, I spent a lot of time in my formative years hanging out. Unfortunately, not around the university (laughs) as a musician. I was on a different street down there, so I think, you know, if you grew up around here, you know know what street I'm talking about. Um, Christopher is a licensed independent chemical dependency counselor and a licensed social worker who has extensive experience treating adolescent and adult clients with addiction and mental health concerns. And that is, my friend, a very noble pursuit. And I thank you in advance of this podcast for that because it's such an important job, such an important job. To go into abstinence is one thing, but as we all find in recovery, that it's not necessarily the healing process of recovery that abstinence is. It's all the stuff that has to happen after that. Christopher is also uh, found about 11 years ago the practice of Zen Buddhism, which led him to become a priest. And that, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience to Recovery Talks, the podcast, is I think the most important part of today is that I really want to explore with Christopher his story and how he got to the place where he became a priest and also uses those practices and principles, I would assume, in his recovery practice. So Christopher, thank you so much for being here today with me and for our, our listening audience. Well, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to uh, to be here today. So how do we get here today? I mean, I, and our listeners have certainly heard an ad nauseum, my recovery story, <laughs> every nook and cranny of my pathetic path to recovery, which is a very happy life today, has been, you know, unfortunately unfurled in this podcast series. But I really like to to hear a little bit more of how you got here. What was it like for you before you came into the recovery world? It started off, I think, with um, growing up in Lakewood in a, a somewhat dysfunctional family. You know, fortunately, there was enough good stuff going on, but there was also a lot of dysfunction. I was a, a, a child of immigrants, and uh, so right off the bat, I felt pretty different than some other kids, I guess. My parents got divorced. It was a really messy divorce, and I grew up with, uh, with you know, internalizing a lot of messages that weren't real healthy that ended up, I think, you know, kind of causing me to have, you know, some low self-esteem and, 
I found some process addictions um, even before I picked up drugs and alcohol that, you know, helped me to cope with my uh, family situation. I also went to Catholic school, which was very good in many ways. Learned a lot about compassion there, for example, and, you know, being accepting of, of others and so forth. But um, but there are also a lot of messages about shame and guilt and those kinds of things. Um, so it was kind of a rough upbringing. And, uh, and then I discovered drugs. So, uh, you know, I took to it like a fish to water and uh, within, an, you know, almost immediately I was I was in trouble. And so that continued on for a few years. I was fortunate in that I sort of recognized early that uh, my use wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't social use. You know, um, I was really just trying to get as messed up as possible as often as possible. So I made an early effort to kind of clean up my act and uh, was, you know, semi-successful with that, which, you know, allowed me to get my grades up and, and get into college. And around that time, I was fortunate in that I discovered uh, transcendental meditation. So um, I think I was 17 uh, when, I, when I learned transcendental meditation. And um, it was a practice that, uh, that I, I really, really enjoyed. I kept up that practice throughout my entire life. So even, uh, you know, when I was using and uh, and when I got into recovery and all of those things, uh, it's it's been a, a huge part of my life. You know, I continued to use um, when I got back at, in, into college, I started using again. And, uh, you know, so altogether, it was about 15 years of drugs and alcohol. I was, uh, I guess, what you would consider a functional addict. I did manage to complete school and I got a good job and it was it was weird because on the outside things, you know, things looked pretty good. But on the inside, I was I was uh, really depressed, really anxious. I uh, sought help, you know, I went for mental health counseling and it didn't take the counselor too long to figure out I had a drug and alcohol problem. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. I, I can tell you relate from my own personal experience that that was something that I never could quite come clean with. I would withhold some facts when I went for uh, some milk because our stories are very, very similar. Uh, background in divorce, Catholic schools. And, you know, we talked earlier yesterday about that and how, you know, I, I, I'm one of the, I think the few not <laughs> recovering Catholics that tends to be, you know, somewhat mad about it. But, but you know, please continue. I, I, I'm really heading to the place where in your story where you, you have the event that, that changes things for you, that the paradigm shift. That's where I'm really interested to find out. What had happened was, you know, my depression got worse and worse. And, uh, you know, I was starting to have suicidal thoughts. And, and that's really what led me to the counseling. And the, the counselor kind of, you know, gave me a challenge um, once she realized how much I was using, which just basically, you know, are you able to quit? And I had already spent years trying to control my use in various ways, none of which were, you know, successful. Uh, so, yeah, I did. You know, I managed to quit. You know, I, I made it for three weeks and uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. And, um, and then I celebrated by drinking. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not laughing uh, at your story or the way you're describing it. I'm just laughing uh, at my own personal, like, you know, yeah, that's, that's exactly what Mark would have done, you know, to celebrate a, a prolonged period of abstinence. Just, yeah, let's go get high. You know, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
so our agreement was that I would I would uh, seek an evaluation if I wasn't able to to remain abstinent, and uh, the evaluation took I think all of about fifteen minutes. And um, uh, you know, the guy just you know said, yeah, clearly you're you're an addict, and uh, you could go to treatment or you could uh, just go to AA, but you'd probably be more successful if you went to treatment. So I did. I, I went to you know hopped on a plane, went out to um, Minnesota at the time. St. Mary's Treatment Center in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That was a life-changing experience for sure. Learned a lot there and uh, came back. And uh, I wasn't successful immediately with staying clean and sober. Um, I had a relapse about six months in. uh, But then I got a whole lot more serious about the AA program and uh, sponsorship and and those kinds of things. So, and that started my whole, you know, recovery journey. I've been, um, you know, involved in uh, several other uh, 12-step programs uh, outside of AA. Um, Early on, I was going to NA as well, but there just weren't as many NA meetings around. So I I really gravitated more towards AA. And like I said, you know, tried some other uh, 12-step programs for some of the process addictions that that I struggle with. The issue for me was uh, you know having some difficulty with the, with the higher power concept uh, and, and the focus on God you know and the twelve steps and things like that, which I understand you know is, is is kind of a struggle for many people and fortunately you know AA is so open about you know finding a, a power greater than yourself so I used you know the uh, the power of the group and the fellowship because clearly people knew a lot more about how to stay sober than I did. One of the most powerful parts of the program of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, as I understand it, is that you get to decide your own idea of what your God is, your own idea of your higher power. And as you understand him, is probably the most powerful words in the big book. And, and that allows a lot of room for self-discovery. And for me, you know, I, I, I also struggled with that a little bit, but, you know, I find that that really is much more about a higher purpose, you know, whatever that is. It wasn't a guy on a cloud with the beard and, and you know, in, in a robe. It wasn't, that's not what I thought of even after coming back from all the Catholic education I had also. I, I, I needed something else. And that group concept really, really helped, really helped me. I was also kind of continuing on my own uh, spiritual journey. I joined up with the uh, the Unitarian Universalist Church, which, um, you know, had a decide your own higher power or don't have a higher power at all or whatever your practice is. But uh, I'd studied Eastern religions in college and I was doing the TM and uh, the uh, Unitarians were uh, very open to accepting Buddhists into their community. So it was a nice sense of community and I continued practicing Buddhism on my own. Until uh, one day when I went to a workshop that was uh, being offered by my Zen teacher, who is uh, Dean Williams, he was offering a workshop, Introduction to Zen, it was called, you know, and it was a one day thing. And I went, I was just really impressed with him because uh, he was so knowledgeable, but also just no, no ego, you know, just no sense of I'm this this important guy and yet he was you know clearly the real deal an ordained Zen priest so I was very attracted to that and when I said oh well you know I'd like to uh, I'd like to pursue this some more what do I do and he said oh yeah well you know just show up at the temple uh, that's where we were practicing the Cleveland Buddhist temple at the time so I, that's what I started doing and that turned into you know this journey that I've been on for for quite some time now I guess it was maybe around five years ago, my 
teacher dean had run across this book by noah levine which is called refuge recovery and uh he, he gave me the book and uh and i was like wow you know this is really cool I got to tell you, I'm kind of having a moment here because I I dug my book out. I have this book and I began to read it last year. Uh And at the moment, I was reading several things as it can happen. And it just wasn't the one that came to the top. And I, I want you to know that I'm already through the first 20 pages with highlighter because of this interview today. So oh, thank really? you again for, you've, you've brought a lot of really great things into my life so far today. I was, we were talking a little bit off recording about some things, but this is just amazing. So what's really interesting to me is how we're getting to the place where you, you're using the teachings of Buddhism and into the recovery process. So this is the good part. Let's get, keep going, please. It was really cool because it, it combined my, my interest in Buddhism as well as my recovery journey The Refuge Recovery Program and then later Recovery Dharma, both these programs um, are really user-friendly as far as just being able to start up a meeting. You know, they had all these resources available. And I looked around and I realized there was only one Refuge Recovery meeting in all of Ohio, and that was down in Columbus. Uh, So I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to get one started. You know, I was uh, an East Sider at that point, so uh, Cleveland Heights seemed like a, a good location for that. We got the meeting started, and before I knew it, there were um, like five um, refuge recovery meetings going, and we brought uh, Nola Vine in along with several other organizations, a yoga studio. Noah came to town, and you know, we had a pretty successful, you know, thing. So that was really cool. And um, so that's how Refuge Recovery got started. And I just found for me and for the folks who were coming to Refuge Recovery, there were a number of things uh, that we were using in recovery that that were so very helpful. You know, understanding the nature of craving, that continual desire that, that we all seem to have to push away what we consider negative experiences and to to try to hang on to only the positive ones and to have that constant need uh, to just not be okay with wherever it is that we are, but to always need to manipulate it and alter it. And of course, using mood-altering chemicals was uh, was the the primary way in which most of us were doing that um, prior to recovery. Utilizing uh, meditation as the primary method to train ourselves to be okay with whatever it is that's arising has been extremely helpful um, you know to me and to to the other folks that that practice in refuge recovery and now more recently recovery dharma because uh, most of the meetings in the northeast ohio converted over to uh, recovery dharma at one point i don't think there's too many refuge meetings around if any in this neck of the woods, it's it's all recovery dharma at this point, which is, you know, based on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And very similar to AA in the sense that we have mentors uh, instead of sponsors. Uh, instead of like a, a fourth step inventory, we have these questions of inquiry. So there's a whole lot of similarities there. And certainly what we call sanghas is our community. 
And that, of course, is a vital piece in our recoveries as well. So, so this practice of meditation, we would do guided meditations in each of the uh, each of our meetings. And then I was introducing um, other uh, types of Buddhist practice so that folks could kind of get an idea of what other kinds of things were were available. So um, so we did, uh, you know, uh, several workshops, you know, retreat types of things where we were introducing yoga and chanting, silent meditations and qigong and things like that so that folks could get uh, could get a sense of uh, of some other ways in which to quiet the mind. The practice, you know, was extremely helpful in terms of dealing with things like cravings or urges to use because we could do things like use deep breathing to sort of focus ourselves and center ourselves and to sort of observe where this impulse was coming from, you know, this feeling of of wanting or or need or avoiding and allowing ourselves to sit with it. So becoming far less reactive, you know, this idea that if I feel the least bit of discomfort, I immediately have to do something to change it. So uh, regular meditation has certainly has helped me to be less reactive and much more, I think, accepting of the kinds of things that uh, that are, are coming up in my life uh, on a daily or, or even momentary basis. I think really helped me to become much more self-accepting, you know, because as you're observing uh, what comes up in your mind, you know, there's that tendency to uh, to judge it. So this practice of accepting whatever it is that's coming up without judgment and without having to react to it. And so that's so very helpful in my daily interactions with, uh, with situations that I run into and people that I deal with and impulses that I have uh, myself. So, Chris, when we we talk to some of the people in in early, early recovery, I know it's often difficult for them to come to a concept upside of themselves because they're frankly their brains on fire, right? And and for me, in early recovery, I suffered from some pretty significant post acute withdrawal symptoms. You know, I I couldn't remember things. I was anxious. I had a lot of fear. My sleeping patterns were weird. I mean, I was either sleeping way too much or not sleeping at all. I just felt like a mess. And I got out of detox and, you know, I, I thankfully hooked up with a really great chemical dependency counselor at Edwin Shaw. Her name was Patty Sleevy. And Patty just really helped me get my head on, look, you're not a bad person. You've got a medical condition that you've got to solve, first of all, and you begin by a long-term period of abstinence. And then I had to learn some techniques and I went right into the 12-step program. But I have to admit to you, I had a really difficult time calming my mind. My question to you is, what would you say to someone that's coming right into the program, maybe right out of initial stage one treatment about meditation? How do you learn it? How do you begin to do it? For me, it's a daily practice also, as, as is, you know, yoga is to me. I, I just feel without those things, those centering things of getting present in the moment. But, but how would you do it when your brain's on fire in your early recovery? That those are real challenges that folks face in early recovery. Folks get a chance to experience meditation at uh, recovery dharma meetings. 
And almost universally, they report being kind of impressed by the experience. Sometimes they're just aware of how difficult it was to to be focused for a moment. But many times they talk about how pleasant it was to uh, to experience that even momentarily. So we stress things like that it, it doesn't matter uh, how long a person meditates, but that they try to incorporate it on a regular or daily basis. So even if you're only able to sit still for five minutes, that is a great start. Building on that, you know, people are start to feel the benefits of doing that. And, and that's where I think meditation is so powerful because it does really rewire our brain. And within a short period of time, people start experiencing the benefits of meditation. Um, So they start to feel a little more settled, a little more calm. So it's one of those very experiential kinds of things. It's not something you have to take on faith. It's really a matter of just, you know, try some of these different techniques. Find out which one works best for you. You know, for example, someone who's not able to sit still in like a quiet meditation or a guided meditation could easily do like a walking meditation or uh, yoga, for example. So when people experience meditation, they start to feel the benefits of this greater calmness, observing, seeing, experiencing the mind settling down to, uh, to more subtle levels. Uh, it's something that they enjoy. This whole attitude that we take towards meditation of being non-judgmental, that it's okay if your your mind is jumping around. It's okay if you're feeling unsettled. At least you become aware of how unsettled you are. But this this practice of kind of returning to the breath when we notice that our you know that our minds are all over the place and our emotions are on fire and and these kinds of things, we increase our awareness of the fact that uh, that we are distracted. So we become aware of what our thoughts are, what our emotions are, what's going on in our body. And this practice of returning to the breath when this is occurring is a practice that we can use at any point in any situation that we're in. We get better at doing it throughout the day if we were really focus on it at some point in you know meditation quiet meditation but uh, you know being able to access our breath and being able to uh, to to practice mindfulness throughout the day is like a centering technique that can help anyone at any time so i think these tools are especially helpful for folks in early recovery i think it's like an entry point and when you start to experience i think most people want to do more One of the biggest parts of becoming part of a 12-step program was feeling that I had found a tribe. Tell me a little bit about how the recovery dharma practice, what are the things that you guys do together to really enhance that tribe experience? Because I, I got to tell you, it was a game changer for me to find other people like me. I could say, you know, are you feeling this way? Yeah, I feel this way. Hey, did you do this? Yeah, I did that also. Hey, I'm having, yes, I get it. I'm like that too. The game changer, the paradigm shift for me was to find that that I was not alone. And my my fear of just being a, a really lousy person because I had developed this addiction. 
that's a really cool thing about recovery dharma um uh, first off you know uh, one of the things is that uh, you know there's a lot of folks that, that come to recovery dharma who are also in aa and who have also achieved some recovery in aa who, who then uh, add in uh, recovery dharma and then there's many people where you know recovery dharma is their primary recovery group but one of the things about recovery dharma is that we don't distinguish between different types of addiction so a person coming into recovery dharma, you know, like myself, you know, I might be there for food addiction or sex addiction or spending or uh, alcohol or weed or whatever, including some folks who are struggling with codependency and some folks who are struggling with uh, mental health issues like uh, severe anxiety, for example. So there's that sense of our afflictions, our addictions can take many different forms. And perhaps are not limited to uh, to only one expression like alcohol or one expression like uh, heroin. Right, right. It's not musically exclusive to this group. Hey, and, and and we've all had this experience too, where you've been in maybe a twelve step meeting where some comments were made, but hey, we don't. If you're going to talk about that, that's not what we do here. We're here only for this, and I think they're called primary purpose meetings. Didn't necessarily always re- relate to me. I always had respect for those meetings, but I found them exclusionary on some levels because I felt like, oh, you don't don't talk about smoking weed. You you, you can't mention that, you know. So, but I, I really like what you're saying about recovery dharma. That's awesome. You know, not dissimilar at all to AA meetings or other 12-step meetings. You know, it's just a very, very welcoming community. Almost universally, the folks who were coming into Recovery Dharma were talking about how welcome they felt. And I think part of that probably had to do with uh, also with the with the meditative experience that I think people just felt a, a little bit more energized as a result of the meditation and a, and a little bit more open and accepting. I think that's one of the things that meditation does for folks. So when they were experiencing that in the meetings, I think it really flowed into being able to uh, support each other and relate to each other and, and those kinds of things. One of the one of the biggest difficulties that we're facing is just not enough meetings, <laughs> you know, that we need right. we need to have more right. more meetings available and more more folks uh, able to mentor others. This is a great opportunity for us to get out to our listeners in our podcast. You've been listening to Christopher Wimmer and uh, Christopher Thank you so much for coming today to Recovery Talks, uh, the podcast. Can you share with our listeners a little bit of how they can find out more about the things you've been talking today, maybe some of the, the places they can go to find some of the ideas we've been talking about so we can spread the word here? Yeah, so uh, recoverydharma.org, I think, is our national or actually international website. And there's a list of many different resources. Uh, of course, we have a, a book also, uh, Recovery Dharma, that you can get um, you know, through the website or you can get it from Amazon. And it's it's really inexpensive. I think it's like five bucks. I mean, it's really- five ninety five. I looked it up today. It was oh, awesome. Okay, <laughs> I actually ordered it right before oh, the great. Yeah. Great. I, I think you're probably not gonna be getting rid of me, man. I think I'll probably be bugging you a little bit more, hopefully. Hey, no no problem. No problem. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Facebook page you mentioned also was crookedriverzen.org. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, so crookedriverzen.org. Uh, we have our own website, and that that will link you to my Zen sangha, uh, the Zen practice that I'm involved in. And we have a, a meeting place in uh, in Cleveland Heights where we are having in-person meetings. We have Zoom meetings as well. So if you're interested in more learning more about Zen Buddhism and meditation, that would be a great resource and also a great place to learn how to practice Zen. Chris, man, thank you so much for, for coming on our show today. I, I know it took us a little while to, to hook this up, but I, I just knew it was going to be great. And, and really, after our podcast, I'm going to be more in touch with you as far as myself, my own personal practice going forward, because all of this just sounds really in harmony and resonating with me personally. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Christopher Wimmer, and Chris is a Zen Buddhist priest and also a licensed independent chemical dependency counselor and a very good soul. I want you to all invite everybody to please listen, subscribe, and download to this podcast. You can find it at recoverytalks.org. Let me say that to you one more time, recoverytalks.org. Please like, share, and follow, and and check out all. I think we've got at least at this point almost pretty close to 30 podcasts up at this point from the past year, which is one of the silver linings of the pandemic. This would never have happened if there wasn't a pandemic. So just to finish up, I want to just invite everybody to say, you know, thank you for hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks. Please stay tuned for more episodes and more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everyone, please stay standing and steady on. 